What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Tier 1 Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tinan, and today on the show, I'm joined by Bib Soho, who is, well, he's got his own business in the fashion industry. Um, I met him through uh, a friend um, who he is the dad of, my friend Cameron, and Bib's travelled all over the world, which is one of the reasons I wanted to speak to him. We do loads of training together often at the gym and we just go running together and I'm always enjoying the stories he's telling so I thought why not have him on the podcast. We recorded it quite late at his house um, just after I finished work one night so um, it was a great, great little experience and I really enjoyed doing the episode. Hope you guys enjoy it too. Um, if you do, follow us on Facebook, um, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and here it is. All right, Bib, we are on and recording. Thank you very much for doing this, by the way. It's not the most standard of things to do, I guess. Um, like all these podcasts, like I was saying to you just a second ago, um, usually just like to start out about how we met. Now, I remember meeting um, Cameron first, actually, uh, and we were just in the Toplands area, you know, just over there. And I think, I don't remember what, we, what we we're doing, but we randomly just bumped into each other without knowing each other existed. <laughs> and I think uh, somehow we managed, probably just ended up just uh, chatting with each other and, and ending up playing football. Um, and then from there, I guess I would have met you at some point, but then down the road I met Zach and um, eventually we were all just playing out every day, just playing football together. <laughs> and um, yeah, he kind of came into the picture then. Do you remember much about uh, that was quite a while ago, though. It was a very long it? time ago, yeah. How long ago? I think he must have been about what, about eight or seven then. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So ten years ago. Yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it was it was quite a it was a very fun time. I remember like just having someone to live so close that we could just play out and play footy with all the time. Um, it was a really fun time. So, I mean, first thing we like to, I like to talk about a bit is, is a bit of family. Um, what was what was life like growing up for you? Were you were you born in Leeds? Uh, actually, I was born in the in, street in the house in my mum's house. Oh no way! Yeah. So, so yeah, I was the only one who wasn't born in hospital. So I was actually born in that house and in the bedroom. Right. So I grew up around here and played around here when I was a kid. Okay. No way. Um. And what, what what year were you born? Uh, 1970. 1970. What was the street like then? Was it a lot different? Um, well, yeah, kind of a lot different, but still kind of still the same because obviously the you know the the middle not not a lot has changed. Mm. You know, all the, all the houses are pretty much the same. Um, yeah. The centre bit has always been left as land, um, people's allotments and things like that. So that's not changed massively. Um, no, it's. I mean, the layout is exactly the same. There's no, there's no major change. It's just people coming and going. Yeah. yeah. And families moving out. But as you know, a lot of people who move in these streets stay here for a long period of time, don't they? It's such a, like a nice street, like, really. Barbara's been there for like uh, yeah, 50 Terry, years. Yeah. yeah. More, more than 50 well, years. George and uh, not more yeah. Than that, but yeah. Um, so, so how, what, what, how, when did uh, your mum get the house? She must. They must have moved in about. Uh, probably about nineteen sixty-five or something like that. Oh wow! And where where did they move from? Uh, from Headingley. Right. 
But I think where they were in Headley now, it's all been knocked down and, you know, student yeah, it's accommodation and stuff, stuff and like and that. Yeah. Bottom end of Headingley now, town. Cool. And yeah, are you, are you the youngest? Or the, what, yeah, you, youngest. Uh, how many brothers do you say? Three older yeah. brothers. What was that like growing up? Pretty tough, to be honest. <laughs> three older three older brothers. You, you kind of have to learn to stick up for yourself quite a lot. So, What was the age difference between you? Uh, well, Bab's only one year older than me. So um, so I was probably closest to him. Mm. And then Taryn and Michael is, uh, I think it's like seven and eight years difference. Oh, right. Six and seven, I can't remember. Yeah, so it's about like six, seven years difference. Okay. So what were you guys like growing up? Were you quite a handful? Did you get into trouble? Were you quite good? Uh, usual boys stuff, yeah, messing around. Um, didn't get into really any serious trouble, but um, yeah, we were always up to something or other, you know, <laughs> playing football in the street, messing around in people's gardens and yeah, building bonfires all year round, yeah. things like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Did you get into? Did you did you get along with your brothers well at the time? Uh, yeah, probably would say yeah, yeah. I not, mean, we not too many scraps or anything. Well, I think we were always scrapping, but that that was just the way it was. You know, it right. was always kind of, you know, yeah. a bit boisterous, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think I was always scrapping with Bab. You know, we were really? always like, but that that was just normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you went to school. Uh, Close, yeah, close went or? to school, Car Manor, just down the oh, road. Yeah. And then we had middle school at that time, so that was Fir Tree. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the Ring Road, which I don't know what it is now. Has it changed? I don't know. I don't think it's still a school. Sure, yeah, I don't think so. And then Stainbeck, just down the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah high school. And then went to uh, Airdale and Wharfdale for a year, college. And then after that, went and studied in Manchester for four years. At the university there, was it? Yeah. yeah. What did you study? Uh, business and marketing with a bit of French. Why did you just decide to do that? Well, uh, I, I always wanted to run my own business, to be honest. Um, where do you think Where do you think that kind of came from? Well, my dad ran his own business. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Well, so. what, what did uh, What did your dad do? Well, funnily enough, he was in wholesale clothing, which is what I'm <laughs> what doing. <laughs> and I got told not to go in the family business and do my own thing, um, and I've ended up in wholesale clothing just by. Right. Did you and your dad get along well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he is he passed away now? Is he? Yeah, he passed away when I was young. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, excellent. What was it? how old were you? Uh, thirteen. What was that like? That must have been tough. That's a tough age. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a bit tough. I mean, I was probably just started high school then. Yeah. And um, yeah, he he had problems and he was ill, so it was one of those things where, um you know, things were going bad and then things were going, getting better. And then he just had a, a heart attack. What and was it like for your mum at that time? Did you have a lot of support looking after you guys? Uh, yeah, we've, we've got family around here. So, and even family that are, you know, far away were always around. So we've got family in Birmingham and London, um, and Leicester, Coventry, all over the place, really. Right. So we've always had a lot of family around when we were younger. Um, yeah, so she had a lot of support, but yeah, obviously it's going to be tough, isn't it? When you've yeah. got did three you have, boys, did you have, did you feel like you had to step up at all and uh, take more responsibility in day-to-day well, stuff? I think I think it kind of made me really independent because I think with a lot of stuff that was going on, I just had to kind of look after myself really. Right. Um, so 
yeah, I think it's kind of shaped me in the way that I don't rely on anyone to to do things for me. Yeah. Um, totally independent. So, so yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's probably different for different people, isn't it? So yeah, my, my brother Raoul, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever met him, but well, he's my foster brother. Right. And, um, his dad, his dad died when he was seven and he was, he was our next door neighbor at the time. And my mum had lo- looked after him a lot when he was young. Cause his mum had left him when he was two. Right. Um. So my mum was like a surrogate mum from him when, since he was two, and yeah, growing up with him, like he he really struggled. I think um with you know not having his dad there because they were so close and everything like that. Yeah. So kind of the glimpse of what it was like to kind of grow up. Um, I would, and I've loved I'd love to have Raul on, Raul on this podcast and talk to about talk to him about it, and I'm sure I will. Yeah. Um, kind of get his perspective of what our relationship because he's only a year older than me as well was like growing up um but moving moving back to back to university what what was that like for you uh it was it was strange at, at the start what year um, was it when you went do you remember 89 mm-hmm. uh and i started doing accounts because i don't know what i didn't really know what kind of course i wanted to do and the usual thing in indian families is you know be a, a doctor or a solicitor or an accountant and, you know that's the kind of things you get told what to do and so I, I just chose accounts I was good at maths you know it was one of those things you could make a business out of it so mm. why not and I think I lasted about I don't know three weeks on accounts course and just found it so dull and like just you know totally uninteresting and then I, I met people who were doing the business course and that sounded a bit more kind of my idea of of what business should be and um I like the idea of advertising and marketing and then, you know, they were doing languages, languages. I was good at French at school and I did German for a bit, which I was good at, but I didn't want to do because I didn't want to, I didn't like the teacher. Um, but I did get like, you know, A's, uh, French O level. Um, and they were all going to go to, uh, France, Toulouse for three months in the first year. So Mm. I thought, this is no brainer. I'm going to try and get on that course. (laughs) And then I applied to get on it and I just got grilled by the, the course, the head of the course, thinking I was kind of sneaking my way on like the back route. Mm. So he sent me a load of tasks because it's quite a tough course to get onto. So he really kind of, you know, came down on me saying, you know, it's not the way it's normally done. Um, so they sent me a few things to do. Um, and then I kind of completed those and handed them in and managed to switch courses. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good. I met a lot of good people on the course. Uh, did go to Toulouse for three months in the first year, which was an absolute wow. scream. Um, <laughs> what was that like as a young man? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. It was like, had you been away a lot uh, as a kid or? I'd been on school holidays. Um, after my dad passed away, my mom kind of, there was a ski trip with school with Steinbeck and, um, that was kind of looming on the horizon and I was interested in going and my mom thought, well, like, you know, just, just go. Yeah. And, you know, take your mind off things kind of thing. And I loved that. And then afterwards, they were quite expensive to go. So it was a matter of if you want to go, then you're going to have to pay for it. So I used to work in the summer and then go away in the winter on these trips. Right. And I loved them. What What did you do for, for, for work when you were little? Uh, I did all sorts of stuff. I washed, my main job was washing up for a restaurant in town. There was a restaurant. Oh, really? and, um, do you remember what it was called? 
It was called Le Jardinet and it was in the Bond Street Centre. Oh, really? Yeah. What was that like? It was pretty grim, to be yeah. honest. It was... It, you know what? It, it, I think, obviously, you know, when you're younger, you, you end up doing stuff that you don't really like doing, but it does serve a purpose. Yeah. And looking back, you know, it was one of those jobs where you just put your head down and got on with it and got the money at the end of the day. Yeah. Um it's not, it's not easy working in kitchens though. It's not, no, chefs can be a bit temperamental, but I think they were, I think they were all right. You yeah. know, from what I remember, um, the head chef used to just listen to David Bowie all the time, <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> and, you know, when Bowie passed away, it was like, there was a lot of Bowie being played on the radio and stuff. And it just reminded me of working in that kitchen. Yeah. Um, Did you learn much from learning in that kitchen? Like, no, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if. I don't know if I did. Uh, I always re- I always used to remember because they'd feed me and I always used to get the steak pie. Right. And you'd get a nice steak pie with some yeah. puff pastry oh, on it. Is. Yeah, that was nice, that, with chips. And I think it. I think that's kind of lodged in my brain somewhere. So yeah. even going away now recently, I was like, oh, I might have steak pie tonight. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, it is what it, you know, it, it was just a learning experience. It was a means to get some money, you know, in those days... You, d- you didn't have that many options. Yeah. I kind of th- think maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm assuming too much here, but kind of at that young age, maybe you're learning already to get, you know, you're doing some hard work in the kitchen and then in the winter you're going away, you're already kind of learning that hard work to yeah, reward kind of thing. Yeah, I think you thing. are. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you, you, it is a reward, isn't it? Anything, I, I kind of believe that in anything I do. It's the same in training, you know. I always think like, you know, if you're going to eat some really nice food, I feel like you need to deserve to, you know, you, you, need, yeah. you need to uh, earn that. In, I feel like in it's, a way. it's so much better when, when you have earned it as well. Yeah, it does, yeah, yeah. I think I, I've, I'm something I toy with a bit is like the intermittent fasting type stuff where you right. go like 16 hours without eating and then eat for an eight-hour window. And then... Uh, f- I've really been re- noticing the when I eat for that first time, I won't necessarily even be hungry, hungry, but how good food tastes. Like my taste buds absolutely light up and fire, and you can feel it. Whereas, like if I'm just eating normally, like food yeah. is kind of crushed into one flavor almost. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds it sounds strange, but I'm the same. I I kind of do that because I I skip breakfast these days, and I can skip breakfast and even like delay lunch till about three o'clock. Yeah, so you're and pretty if I've, doing it, yeah. yeah, if I've not eaten since, you know, 8 p.m. the night before, um, you've, way you've over ended 16 up... 16 hours there, what yeah, is, yeah, yeah, that's that, 12, yeah, 16, 16 hours, uh, easily, easy, yeah. easily done. And you're right, you know, when when you do start to eat stuff, you think, and you, yeah. know, you appreciate a lot more. Or maybe at the times when I've been doing some, like, really hard exercise in the Marines or something, and you've been wet, cold, and tired for a week straight, and you've not slept well, and... All it's kind of getting you through is that thought of like a Domino's at the end of it, and you and like it's the first proper like hot food you've had in in a week, and when it when you first take that bite, it's just like oh, you want to cry sometimes. <laughs> but so yeah, yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. But yeah, so you I, saved up to go on these um on these trips. Uh, was there any was there anywhere that stands out to you that you remember? What the the, the yeah, ski trips? No, the yeah, the ski trips. For like after you've been working and stuff. Uh. Yeah, they were all they were all brilliant. Um, we we always used to well, I think the first one was to a place in France called Flen, and then we did one in Austria, Zalemzee, and then Andorra, um, and then I can't remember. I don't know if I did three or four. 
And how old were you when all this was going on? Like between well, the first one I did, I think I was fourteen. Right. Going up. So until... it would have been fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, maybe. So still like a young age, and you're already kind of fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, no, probably three. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of still already a young age and already getting like this almost travel bug, which I guess is it or. You yeah, you probably do get a bit of a travel bug, yeah. Because you experience all these new cultures and stuff, I guess. So yeah, yeah. It must be interesting that, at that age, I think, where you're like, particularly, where you're kind of still learning a lot about the world. So you end up going to France at uni, and I guess is that your first time kind of being away without too much supervision, was it? Um. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um... Whilst I was doing my A-levels, I didn't really go away. Um, I remember doing A-levels and just spending the summer at Chapel Out and playing tennis with my mates, like literally non-stop really? all through summer, yeah. And then learning how to drive, that was around that time, so... How old were you when you were learning how to drive? Um, 17, as soon as Perhaps I got straight straight past, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and fixing cars. I used to fix Beatles and stuff. Oh, really? Oh, because yeah. isn't that what one of your brothers does now? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, he's still a mechanic, right. but he started off fixing Beatles and things. So we always used to buy yeah. old knackered Beatles and then fix them in the garage and, you know, that's buy and sell a few. That's well cool. When, and this was like when you were 17, 18, was it? Yeah, the first one I bought was when I was 15. Um, no way, wow. On the way to school. <laughs> I, I used to walk past one and it was just at the side at the top of the street rusting away and I knocked on the door and bought it for 50 quid wow. and, and then my money got at the at the, the restaurant was it oh. I can't I, I yeah. yeah I used to do Saturday jobs you know working I don't know what I did at that time to be honest um, at 15 maybe I was still maybe I was helping my brother what did um, um, what did your mum say when you came back with this this beetle? Well, she always thought we were nuts, really, because <laughs> you'd turn up with this rusty old beetle and then pull it all apart in the driveway and make a mess of everything, and then you'd be in the house covered in oil and dirt and everything. <laughs> so and, and what it was how, there's no YouTube by that time, I imagine, to no, learn how not, to do it. Got Haynes Haynes manuals. <laughs> so I literally yeah, did yeah. it reading a Haynes manual, wow. and. I'd, I had a cousin who was in Kenya and he was a mechanic and he, he used to drive over in his Beetle and he used to show us bits and pieces on yeah. what you could do. Um, and it's just nuts and bolts, you know. You just do them in an order, don't you? Make right. sure you don't lose any bits That's in the cool. process. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, I managed to strip it all apart and it was the engine was seized and I managed to, you know, unseize it and I, I had it running. Pretty much teaching all yourself all Yeah, learn everything, put it back together, um, had it running kind of, up and down the street, drove it totally legally, <laughs> yeah. but you know, um, the streets the street was a lot quieter then. And then one of my mates offered to buy it off me for like 150 quid, so I was like, Oh, quid's in here, <laughs> made 100 quid on Happy it. Days. Was yeah. it so it was you and your brother to kind of just stripping it and putting it back, or was it just you? Well, he I, it was mainly me, yeah. but he he knew more than me, so whenever I got stuck, I'd just ask him a few questions. And I think when it came to firing it up, I'd got all the plug leads around in the wrong way. Um, right. simple mistake so it wouldn't fire it kept popping and bursting yeah. and then he just kind of unplugged a couple of leads and put them back in and then turned it over and it started up that's cool yeah so yeah i quite like doing that and then even yeah i think after sort of school i ended up working because bab got a job at a place called beetle people and i ended up working um with him occasionally just going in and helping out on saturdays yeah. and stuff 
Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's never, never guess. That's, that's really cool. That's why I can fix the van. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sometimes fix the van. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, do you have any, any standout moments from your front trip where you're away and kind of first time, a bit unsupervised, kind of as a young uh, man? As, uh, from, from the uni trip? Well, yeah, yeah there was quite a few. Was there, there was a lot, there was lot of partying, yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of getting drunk and drinking perno, which I won't even touch these days. <laughs> it was a little bad taste. Oh, it's, yeah, it's disgusting, isn't it, perno? So, uh, and we couldn't speak that much French, and we were at this quite posh business school, so we ended up just having French lessons to learn how to speak French. And then, um, yeah, met met local loads of guys over there. Met this kind of quite cool guy whose whose dad had some clothes shops, and he owned a Ferrari and. Oh, wow. Lived in this amazing house with a yeah. swimming pool just outside Toulouse. That's cool. And then met this other guy whose parents were uh, psychiatrists and uh, he was into his surfing brands and stuff like that. And I was always, I always wanted to go surfing. So um, we went off to one of the beaches where he used to surf um, and got some boogie boards and messed around with those. Yeah. So that was like a first taste of getting into surfing. And, yeah. And always, yeah, we were like discussing a film that we'd seen called Big Wednesday. Okay. Um, Which is a bit of an epic film. Right. Yeah. I'll have to check it. What check it? it out. Yeah. I've got it down there. I did. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, what was it? Did you um, try and uh, pick up any French girls with your broken French there? Or uh, yeah, managed like? to managed to have a French... Uh, Kind of girlfriend for a while oh, really? out there, yeah. French, it was French as do workable then, was it? Uh. Yeah, it was pretty basic. <laughs> uh, well, mind you, I suppose it was a bit better than school. You know, your school French. Yeah, yeah. So we could we could say a few things, and um, yeah, it was you know a lot happened in those three months. We we did a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Travelled around a bit with this guy that I met, the surfer guy who was called Fabian. Went to his parents' place in the mountains. Um, they had this like 300 year old farmhouse and we helped waterproof what they were building a swimming pool oh, cool and then you know went off to the beaches we went to a festival like this music festival where they close the town center and everyone gets drunk for three days they sleep <laughs> on the streets it's just Hello. absolutely mental um and then i also lived with this guy who taught like french kickboxing kind of things oh so I ended up training with him, yeah. running around some fields no in way. the countryside. Uh. He was like putting me through the paces of that. <laughs> uh, and then I'd turn up and train with him at his gym. Wow. So, yeah, there was a lot of varied things Sounds going like on. Sounds like a really jam-packed three months. It was, yeah, yeah. Do you find, do you think, I mean, I can only imagine you really got so many experiences there and did you find you like you grew up a bit there? And Yeah, again, you, you, you kind of fend for yourself. And you know what, I, it... I don't think there's there's that many times I often feel that homesick or, you know, want to come home. I always look at stuff like, you know, this is, you, you kind of feel privileged to be there experiencing it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was good. It was, it was such a laugh, you know, three months in France and came back okay. and had to come back. Finished all your uni work. <laughs> yeah. Then we had, yeah, the rest of the time at uni with your head down trying to be serious about things <laughs> well trying to be <laughs> so, you, so you leave uni and did you did you know what you were going to do straight away 
Uh, no, I had no idea. Um, I kind of came back to Leeds and dosed around for two years and delivered pizzas for the local pizza place and worked as a mechanic with Bab. Definitely that time I was working uh, at Beetle People. And then um, what else was I doing? I'm sure I was doing something else. Um, yeah, well, it's just, just odd odd stuff. So Odds and bobs and that. Then, yeah. then, then what happened after that two years? Did you kind after of just two put... years? I think my mum got sick of me, and it was difficult to get jobs up here. And a lot of my friends from Manchester moved down to Windsor, and they all worked in IT. Right. So I used to go down and see them, and they used to have some crazy parties at the weekends in Windsor. <laughs> and then they said, "Well, why don't you just move down and get a job down here?" So I just kind of went, "Right, okay." So I, ha- I had this. Um, I'd bought a Golf at that point, so I'd got rid of the Beatles. Uh, um, had enough money to buy a like a Mark II Golf, and then um, drove, packed it up, drove it down to Windsor, and then started applying at agencies. And um, I got a job, which uh, was in IT in software sales, and the agency said there is a there is a bit of a uh, catch with the job. Um, you, you're going to be based in Paris at the start and it could yeah. be like three months or six months or oh, a year yeah. or the job could stay there. If you got any issues with that? And I was like, Nope, not at all. And yeah. So when I went back to see my mates, I was like, yeah, I've got the job and uh, see you later. I'm off to Paris. <laughs> and they're like, what? And then one of my friends actually drove, well, two of them drove me over there when I, when I had to, had to go there. Oh, that, nice. that was a bit of a weird experience because, mm. We had this kind of crazy journey where we, I'd already just packed all my stuff to move down to Windsor and then it was all, right, I need to sell the car because there's, there's no use for that over there. Not to France, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and I'd have some money behind me and then they kind of threw my stuff in their car and drove me to Paris and yeah. we went out and dosed around in Paris for the first night and then the next day they were like, right, we have to go home now, so see you later. And I was like, all oh, right, now. Yeah, it's, quite, of, it's a really bold move, isn't it? Yeah. Was it? Did it ever like cross your mind to say no, or was it just... No, it never crossed no. my mind to say no, yeah. but once the reality hit, when it's like before you even start your job, you're kind of like then thinking, right, I'm actually here on my own, you know, don't know anyone in Paris. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it was, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge really, isn't it? Mm. How long did you end up staying there? Uh, I was there for six months. So after three months, they said you're still staying here. So I was like, great, because I loved it. It yeah. was brilliant. And then after six months, they went, it's looking like it's going to go back to the UK. So the job actually moved to Maidenhead. And then I just moved back in with my mates in, in Windsor. All right. So I lived in Windsor and, and worked in Maidenhead for a while. But it was, you kind of enjoying the job? and It was, yeah. Well, because it was new and um, it was a bit corporate. Well, it started to become a bit corporate. The The, the job in France was great because I had a good boss. It was a nice place to work. People were really nice. Yeah. Everyone often says about the French that they're quite rude, but I've never ever had any issue in Paris with anyone being rude or, you know, unhelpful. I think I think people are more unhelpful in London. Um, so I loved it. I thought it was brilliant, you know, and it's such a good city, Paris. And yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I ended up meeting like friends of friends, and then I had like a nice group of people to go out with and do stuff with. So you know, socially it was 
it was brilliant. There was stuff going on every single night of the week. I bet, yeah. 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 So how how was it? Did you meet any of those interesting type people that you mentioned on your last French trip? Um what the, well, the same people or did you meet some some new interesting yeah i met i met French i met people because at that point everyone's working aren't they so they've all got mm. jobs i met this girl who was a friend of somebody on my uni course um called nicola and she worked at the british embassy so she had a really cool job yeah and she knew pretty much everything that was going on right so there'd be some sort of party there'd be some sort of dj yeah. kind of thing um there'd be comedy clubs there'd be all sorts of stuff so she just had a whole list of like yeah. activities that you could go and attend or you know that they they were involved in or setting up yeah and then she knew a lot of people who were who'd moved over from the uk and set up businesses in paris as well um so there was a guy who owned a pub called the frog and roast beef which when i went back would become a chain but he just had one at the, in the center of Paris and we used to hang around there a while. And then there were these other guys who set up this thing with uh, maps. They were doing these things called sky maps. And basically, you know, like on Google Maps, you can see all the buildings. Yeah. They'd animated and drawn all the buildings on a map. All right. So they were one of the first people yeah, to come up with that idea. That and they did oh, Paris, okay. oh, wow. which must have taken them ages and uh, printed these maps and had an advertising business and stuff like that. So yeah, the, you know, you met people from all sorts of uh, different walks of life. And then, you know, a few of my mates came over to visit. You know, I had a guy who called Any, who was in the music business and a DJ, you know, got in touch and he was like, there's a fashion show going on. They've asked me to DJ. It's in Paris. Is or if I crash with you? I was like, yeah, come over. Yeah. So we ended up in some Paris fashion show. And we, we um, did you still keep kind of the finger on the pulse of fashion at this point and were you still thinking about your no, own business or? fashion wasn't on any of the only only interest i had in fashion was personally you know i just i follow my own stuff right so it was never a business thing uh that that happened just by accident later right. yeah, yeah. But were you thinking much about setting up your own business um at this time or had that kind of been pushed to the side for the moment you know what i've always thought about setting up my own business but i've never had the money to do it I've never had the backing to do it. Right. Um, I've always had lots of ideas and I've always gone to my mum and said, this is a good idea. Let's get a load of, you know, old Volkswagen vans from America and import them here. Things like that. And she's like, you must be mad. Uh, <laughs> so no, I've never, never really had the capital to do it. And even when I set up my own business, which was eight years ago, it's still difficult, you know, to try and live and, uh, you, you do need a bit of money behind you and it's yeah it's tough to save money these days you know everything's you know you kind of live by the by the wire don't you yeah absolutely everything that comes in tends to go out at right. some point doesn't it yeah so um what happened why did you leave that job eventually or uh, well, that that job changed from one company to another company. Um, and then I worked in central London, same kind of job software sales. And I just had no interest in it. Mm. You know, the money was good. The people, when I initially moved, were quite good. And then they had some management changes. And uh, I think, you know, this whole thing about working for yourself is not having a boss. And I think I was kind of gearing around to the fact that I didn't really want to work for anyone. I wanted to work for myself. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think I really fall into the corporate kind of way of work. And he was getting more and more corporate, you right. know, with the with with changing to a different company. The French company was kind of like a small almost like a family based company. Everyone knows each other in the building. Um, you know, even the the, the the main boss guy who owned the software, the rights to the software you'd see and meet at lunchtime and have a chat with him. Um, and then I were, th- that company was actually bought out by one of the largest software companies in the world. And then it just became one of these political kind of hierarchies and levels. Yeah. And it just becomes, you just, you know, you really do feel like a small cog in something else. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of just went off it. And I'd lived in London for quite a while at that point. And I think like your partying lifestyle and your work lifestyle starts to clash a bit. So I just think, uh, I think I felt like I'd done London and I needed a break from everything. So and plus I started seeing a girl who was based up in Leeds. And then I just decided, right, that's it. I'm going to move back to Leeds. Back to Leeds. Yeah. yeah. So did you have a plan when you were moving back or was it just kind of, let's see what happens? Yeah, let's see what happens. Decided to work full-time with my brother to see what happens just so I've got a job and earn some money. Um, I had a bit of money behind me at that point because I was earning quite a bit from uh, from the London job. What year are we talking about now? Uh, must have been 97. Okay. Around so there. And then and you work, you're working with your brother for a bit and... Well, the plan was to work with him for about a year, and I think I ended up working with him for about three years. Okay, yeah, that's often the case when it, how it yeah. works, doesn't it? Yeah. And then I had friends in London, and there was a guy who I knew who was going out with one of the girls I used to live with when I was in London. And uh, he was in fashion and clothing, and he worked, he got a job with a French children's wear company, and they were looking to set up like sales of their French, well, not French products, but their brands in Northern England. Uh, and I went down to see him about it. And uh, Did he kind of know you were into fashion as it was then? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Why do you think you got into fashion in the first place? Or was it just something that was naturally... I think as a kid, I was always into labels and fashion and clothes and stuff like that. I always thought I'd, you know... I remember all the designer shops that used to be in Leeds and used to know all the, like, you know, used to look at all the brands, Diesel. Still got Diesel catalogues from probably 1984 or something mm. like that. Were your brothers or anything into it or was it just something that you were into? Uh, I think we're all kind of probably into our own different areas of it. Right. Um. But I think I probably knew more about labels and trends probably a bit more than they did. Um, yeah, there was all there were all sorts of different fashion yeah. phases when you're younger. Right. There was all that casual business with, you know, Lacoste and Sergio Ticini's and stuff like that. And yeah. So um, what uh, what was you were back in Leeds and then. You're working for your brother for a few years and then you go to the, find this this new job that your friends told you about. You go see him and 
Is that kind of when you break into doing some more fashion? Yeah, stuff, is it? well, that that was ba- mainly based around the fact that he had he had Levi's Kids as a brand, and you know, I always always used to be quite big into Levi's. Right. I've, I've had, you know, it, again, it was a it was another brand and label that I kind of followed and bought quite a lot of their stuff, um, and the kids wear looked quite interesting. And the idea was to set up a northern kind of sales um, office. So I was based up in Chapel Island, had a little office up there. And then I would kind of go out and visit all the local stores, you know, north of the north of England and then in, in, in Scotland as well. Oh, so I used to travel great. up to Glasgow. And I used to carry the whole sort of sample ranges and then go meet customers and place orders with them. Oh, cool. Um so I traveling at the time. Were you back in the Volkswagens or? Um, I think at the start I was using my own car, and then I, I got given a one of their pool cars. All right. Cool. So I had like a company car. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So camera must come around, come along. In the Halfway through that, yeah. yeah. So I was working for Levi's Kids when I, when he was born. How did that change change your life? Oh, totally different. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it just turns your whole life upside down, really. You know. Yeah. And uh, what what changed? What what was it like? Did well, everything yeah. changes? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, you've you've got this whole weight of responsibility on your shoulders now, and you're like, mm. yeah. And, and then that, you don't get any sleep. You know, usual right. stuff with kids. You don't yeah. get any sleep. You know, were you living here at the time? Like, no, we started off living in on Scottle Road. Uh, we're in a, in a in a one bed apartment on Scottle Road. Right. And so obviously, when he came along, he quickly outgrew that, and it was a matter of looking some for somewhere else, and then had the chance to move in here. Yeah. So. What did you um? How how did you feel? You changed? Did you have to grow up even more when Cameron came along? And yeah, you do. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel <laughs> any, any examples of like just I don't know just how your mindset might have changed or did you feel like you well you you definitely start thinking a lot more long term right so gone are the days of just going right you know I'm just going to go out and do this or whatever and mm. don't think of the consequences everything has a consequence when you've got kids so even going out to the pub and having a few beers you know you've got to deal with yeah you know stuff through the night and in the morning and you know. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just a whole load of more responsibility and and stuff that you can't, you know. You need to look out for someone else instead of just yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your focus totally changes. Yeah. yeah. So your focus goes away from yourself to him. Yeah. Completely. And then, as Cameron's growing up, and you kind of. I guess can start taking a bit better care of himself and eventually then um and is there anything you feel that I guess would were different from for you when you were growing up than it was for Cameron when he was growing up? Yeah, there's probably a lot of things that are different. Um well one he's an only child, so you know, oh, yeah. he hasn't got siblings around him. Um so he's he's probably had a lot more done for him since he's been growing up. Um, do you think how do you think it would have affect someone to not have siblings or when they do have siblings you, uh, well the, the, it must have an effect yeah. um, 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask him that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but he couldn't tell you what it's like to have them, and I can't yeah. tell you what it's like not to have them. Yeah. I feel like it's quite, I don't know. I, I'm the youngest of my brothers as well. <laughs> right. I remember just getting getting beaten up all my life. <laughs> well, not beaten up, but you know, just, you, you're the, uh, you know, the play thing, aren't you? The, yeah, like, it's like play fighting yeah, all the time, yeah. isn't it? When your brothers want to do like wrestling moves on you and stuff like that. <laughs> well, one of, my brother, one of my brothers used to do kung fu and kickboxing so we were kind of used as punch bags when the punch bags weren't around so <laughs> yeah but then you learn to fight back so you know it's one of those things where you yeah yeah you do mm-hmm. learn something learn. from it don't you yeah i think i guess out of my brothers maybe i'm the most probably adventurous and stuff as well so i wonder if you kind of get that feel of independence as well when you when you've got you know a lot of siblings around you, you kind of want to find your own space and stuff maybe <laughs> Yeah, it could be that. You could kind of want to break away from maybe the things that they talk about or think about. Yeah. Um, um, and maybe just being, you know, everyone says like the youngest are always the most rebellious anyway, aren't they? Because mm. I don't know why, but are they? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah so, so um, I guess there's, there's a lot of things that, that do, you, do you, I guess... Did you find it hard to be to be a dad, or did it feel natural to you? No, I think I think it just automatically clicks in that you you know it's a biological thing, I, I suppose, isn't it? You've got you've got something to look after, and you you you, you suddenly feel like your purpose is to just look after this child, so mm. you you just do it and get on with it. Yeah, you you got your family friend leads as well, Taron and Zaka, I guess, at the time to give you advice and stuff. What they do? Um. I, I, you know what? I don't think I really looked for any advice or really got really? advice. Yeah. I suppose the most of advice you get is from your from your parents. Mm. So my mum probably, you know, I suppose, in, and that's only when things go wrong. You know, it's like illnesses and things like that. Right. So, um, yeah, that's the only kind of advice that I really remember getting. You kind of work things out for yourself, don't you? Yeah. 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 Well, you'll find out when you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> not for a while. <laughs> you and Cameron get, get get along really well when you were growing when growing up. Yeah, yeah. when he was small, because uh, I had a you know, I had quite a bit of free time. I think uh, I think there was a period when I didn't really work a lot. So, um, so yeah, I used to take him to the park, usual stuff. I used to have a bike seat on the back of my bike, and yeah. Ride down through Meanwood Woods and, you know, go see the donkeys and whatever was around. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Meanwood Urban Valley Farm. Uh, Just yeah. take him down there, see the sheep. Yeah. It's Cameron's, Cameron's, is, uh, is, what's he doing now? Is he, he's 18 now, so is he 18. At, he's gone to college, is he? He's doing now? his final year A-levels. Yeah. He's, he's not here all the time now anyway, is he? So, how What do you he, mean? Is it, as in like he's... Living away, here? Yeah. No, oh, he lives here. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. I imagine. I thought he's usually kind of away. No, he lives here now. Right. Well, um, yeah, I guess you still don't have much free time. Do, do you? Do you find you have to? I don't have to look after him, do you? I don't have to look after him. He's yeah. eighteen. Yeah. I'd wish he looked after himself. Well, I've been away for the last five days, so yeah, yeah, I kind of turned yeah. up. At least he's hoovered up. <laughs> Doesn't clean the toilet. I've given him that job. <laughs> um, I even bought some more stuff to, today to to clean the loo. Extra wipes. <laughs> he's, he comes up with excuses, going, "Oh, there's no spray, or there's none of this." Right? Okay, then I'll go out and buy some. Now you've got no excuse. Um, so no, he look, he can look after himself. 
He can yeah. cook. He can clean up. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty. I give him a hard time, but only because I can. But he's pretty responsible, I suppose. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Do I don't. He, I don't yeah. worry when I go away. Do you think he takes after you a lot in a lot of different ways, or? I think certain things he does, and a lot of things he doesn't. So, yeah, it's probably like half and half. Because mm. I'm surprised he's not more adventurous in what he does. Um. And he doesn't. He doesn't seem to be that ambitious. But, I don't yeah. know whether that's an eighteen-year-old thing. I'm just mm. trying to think how how much. I'm sure I was pretty ambitious at eighteen. Mm. I guess it's maybe times and stuff as well. I guess in yeah. seventeen. I think. Do you think it's? Do you think it's harder for someone like a young adult nowadays than it was for you, or do you think it was vice versa? Or I I would say it's harder. I'd say there's more. Um, what do you call it? Uh, distractions for them, especially. I you know I I hate all this social media stuff and. Yeah. I think that's a big distraction for kids. I think Instagram, you know, things aren't really portrayed as they are. Um, And I think finding, like, proper friends might be probably a bit harder these days because if you look at Facebook and Instagram, people aren't really who they are, are they? Oh, yeah. You, know, you could um, be anybody behind that kind yeah, of thing. I really agree. I'm trying to cut down as much as I can now to the point where I've got, I've got this... Um, app where it'll tell you what apps you use most often right and for a while i'd like facebook and instagram and it'd tell you how many times you open it a day and it was just like ridiculous amounts right without even realizing and thinking about it so kind of i still got the apps but they're just buried within folders within folders so if i if i have to if i want to open it i've got to make a conceited you know yeah effort effort to to do it whereas before i'd like i'd be on facebook and i'd click you know the home button to go home and I'd click straight back on Facebook because I wouldn't know what else. <laughs> like almost without without thinking, within like yeah. an instant, it'd be like Facebook home, Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit ridiculous. And I do like those times when you know, I put my phone away. And I, I did have an issue with him at one point. He lost two smartphones. And then I just bought him like a 40 quid Nokia, which wasn't a smartphone, which he thought was great. And I thought it was great because he wouldn't sit here playing with his phone all the yeah. time. And now he's got another iPhone. His mum's bought him one, so he's back on the Instagram. He don't, I don't think he does Facebook. I think it's all Instagram with yeah. him. I think, um, so yeah, I, th- I do think it's a bit tougher for kids. I think I think it was interesting point you made about finding the right friends as well. I think one of the reasons I wanted to join the Marines in the first place was because just finding like a tribe of people that kind of yeah would always like look out for each other and have similar interests and kind of had all the same values and that kind of thing right and that's what i really kind of look for even 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 today um yeah. which is why i, I get into things like jiu-jitsu and thai boxing because you're kind of doing the same things and to do it you need to have the same kind of values you know like you need to have have some kind of humility because if you go in with like an ego he's gonna get beaten out of you very quickly yeah it's it those kind of things and i think nowadays it's just harder and harder to meet those kind of people i don't i don't know if it was back when you were growing up as a young, young man and yeah. i think i think i was quite lucky at school you know i've still got a couple of schoolmates who used to live one still lives around the corner from here and another one he's moved to birmingham and now he's in london and um, I'm still in touch with, you know, those guys. So Yeah. 
I think I was I was quite lucky to have you know some decent friends at school and then good friends at uni although I've not seen them for a, you know a while now um but I will you know I'll yeah. get back in touch with them and even if you know like with one of my friends it was five years before I I saw him and it's just like the same old yeah, person, yeah. you know, it's one yeah. of those things, isn't it? You can yeah. always tell your good friends because it's the same as when you left them. You just pick up the conversation yeah, exactly. you have him exactly. five years later. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not even worried, you know, yeah. it's like next time I see them, it'll be as it was. Yeah. I wonder if you say worry about his ambition, but I think sometimes, at least for me now, having left the thing I wanted to do since I was 11, um, now finding what I should do and like what my kind of purposes to to do stuff i think it's quite i think a lot of young people are kind of having that same problem with they don't really know what they want yeah yeah but there's i don't know is there is there more choice now of what to do and i even said to him this morning i said just do something just get into doing something and if you don't like it then you will work out what you want to do and then start changing things but just start with something even if it's got even if it's not related yeah, to anything yeah. you want to do. Had a good, I, I, uh, I don't know, it's a bit nerdy, I guess, but I collect uh, quotes as well right. as questions. Yeah. Uh, I had a good one the other day. It's, um, I'm going to mess it up now, but it's um, a lot of people, like they, they go out and you know try and find themselves, but what you really need to do is go out and define yourself. So, right. so you need to, you know, Go out and just do stuff and yeah. do stuff until do the things you like until it, you know you yeah, do find do stuff that you yeah. think you like yeah. and then when you do it you'll realize whether you like it or not yeah. you know skiing was one thing I used to love skiing when I was younger and then I you know surfing was a thing I wanted to get into surfing so I surfed for quite a few years and then you know riding bikes is the latest one so right tell me know. about um some of your surfing trips uh well I started at Saltburn um. When we used to fix Beatles, there's there used to be a Leeds Beatle club, and these guys used to like run a register and meet up and talk about Beatles and stuff. And then we used to go to like ride outs to Bolton Abbey and right. have barbecues and things like that. And they're all like pretty young, you know, quite decent guys and girls, and um, you know, it's it was a good kind of social thing. And then um, got to know that one of the guys who ran the club, you know, was into surfing. And I was like, you surf? And he was like, yeah. And he said, I've got spare wetsuit and board if you ever want to come out. So I did. I went up to Saltburn with him and got in the water. I didn't have a clue about how to do things and got smashed around by some six foot waves, you know, in cold water. And yeah. kind of felt like you were going to drown at one point and, you know, got out of it and thought, this is brilliant. I want to do it again. <laughs> so, yeah, I used to, this is when I was a student in Manchester, so I used to, kind of save my some of my weekends and drive back from yeah. from Manchester and pick up the guys in Leeds and then go up to Saltburn or Scarborough. You've got to be really dedicated to do that. To yeah, you from, do, because yeah. I'd be leaving Manchester at six in the morning. Yeah, so. yeah. Not yeah. the easiest place to start surfing is Leeds. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Yeah, it's not the most landlocked place <laughs> in the UK, but I think it's within close. five miles yeah, of the most yeah. landlocked place. So, so you're going through all this versatility in cold water and this yeah. kind of stuff in surface surfing. What was it about it that you just that you just had to do it? I guess if you really got into it, I think I was influenced. Yeah. De- Big Wednesday was a film that definitely influenced me mm. about surfing, and it just looked. You know, you you're a kid and you watch things on TV and you think, "Well, that looks amazing. I'd love to do that." And and then you kind of work out how to get about 
doing it. So yeah. you know, what's it? I've never, I've never surfed. What's the experience like when you? Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Difficult can... to explain. You're at, you're at the mercy of the power of the waves. So you can feel like the energy of the waves, and if you stand up on a board, you know it's like this energy is pushing you along, and you know you're balancing and trying to control and watch where you're going, and then you you're, you're gliding across the top of the water, and even you know looking at the front of your board and water you know gliding past and yeah. the curl of the wave in front of you, it's it's pretty special. Yeah. So it definitely gets yeah. you, you know, adrenaline going. and Yeah, I mean, I get nervous just being in any kind of open water. Like, right. You know, especially if you, you know, can't test the depths of it. You know, I hate being in open water. Uh, yeah, I used to be like that when I was a kid. Yeah. When I remember learning how to swim and if I couldn't touch the bottom, there was always yeah. a panic. Um, but then, you know, when I wanted to surf, it was like, right, get into the pool and learn to swim, learn to hold your breath. You know, learn, right. you kind of train yeah. to do stuff, don't you? You have to kind of learn like a newfound respect for the water and stuff. Or yeah. Yeah. Did you have any kind of close calls and stuff or big, big. Um... Had some big wipeouts. Yeah. 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 Kind of been pinned down a bit. You, you know, you, you get hit by waves and it's like going through a washing machine you don't know which way's mm. up and you're just getting turned over and over and over yeah. I think underneath I, I was listening to a guy called Laird Hamilton oh yeah he's a legend yeah yeah um and he's he's going out he was with a guy uh, do you know Dominic Monaghan is the guy who played a he's an actor he played um one of the hobbits in Lord of the Rings um is he an English actor yeah, he was in Lost as well. Uh, right, played, I think I might know yeah. which one. Yeah, um, and he was telling a story of how you know he was he's quite into surfing and stuff, and when he was, he was out in Hawaii or New Zealand, I can't remember, and he was saying um, how when when you wipe out, you kind of you got to stay underwater for a second and wait for the next wave to kind of go over yeah. and then come up because yeah. if you come straight up, the next wave hits you and you just get you know, yeah, bounce back. Just, yeah, yeah, you do. And he's saying like if if you are really struggling, what you can do as well is just like take like the tiniest little of water, and then it'll give you that extra like point one of a second where you won't feel like you're drowning. And he's like, God, you're fighting for point one of a second. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've been that bad, yeah. but I've been I've been out where it's actually a bit too scary to try and paddle back in because the waves are so big, and you know the you get to learn how waves always break differently. So you get these waves which are called closeout waves and basically the whole line of the wave dumps and you have an impact zone where the top of that wave hits the water and that's the worst mm. point to be in. Um, and you can't actually get back in because there's a chance you're going to get caught in this impact zone. Right. So you end up sitting it out and yeah. the good thing is waves come in sets. So you'll get like a set of six or eight waves and then there'll be a bit of a lull and then they'll come in again if they're in, you know, if they're proper waves. So you try and wait for the lull and then paddle back in. Right. Um, but yeah, it can get, it can get big and scary and, you know. Looking back, is any kind of risks you took surfing that you think, well, that was a bit sketchy? Well, um, I got caught on rocks. You know, you've got lines, um, attached to your board you've got a leash uh yeah a leash that attaches to your leg mm. and to your board and yeah. i had i had one of those caught on some rocks in bali and uh that was a bit sketchy because i was kind of like anchored yeah. to this rock and all the waves were coming in how, so, did, how did your day start that day what, what was the plan 
I think that was one of the first days we went surfing. Oh, and really? um, I looked at the waves and I was like, Jesus Christ, these are massive. How did you and end up in Bali in the first place? Was it good to go to go? Yeah, to go it was a surf trip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the girls from my uni course had been on some trips and I'd seen it on Facebook and uh, just asked her. She she think asked something about if anyone was interested going on a trip to Bali. And I was oh, it's one of those places I always wanted to go and definitely for surfing. What, what year was this? Uh, this was not that long ago. Oh, really? It's probably two, three years ago now. Okay. Um, and I hadn't, you know, I've surfed off and on. I've never had like consistent mm. times of surfing. So, so yeah, it was like, it's a bit worrying thinking, you know, Bali's got some big waves and they've right. got reefs and things. And I've never really surfed a reef before, uh, which is all rock underneath and it can be pretty sharp and jagged okay um and yeah i think that first day out we were looking at the waves and i was like they're huge mm. are we going out in there and they were like yeah, yeah you'll be fine don't worry about it and i was like yeah you'll be fine i wouldn't and um yeah i just got ended up it was a beach break so it's all it should be all sand underneath but you know you get occasional rocks and the leash got caught on it and i suppose yeah i was kind of like just anchored to the bottom of the <laughs> Of the water getting smashed by waves oh, and then trying to get loose. and How long did you think you were under for? Uh, well, I got caught f- probably about three or four waves coming through. But, Jeez. you know, you're, How long you're struggling to like? Yeah, it feels like you're there for like half yeah. an hour trying to get out. And I was just trying to unhook the leash, which is probably the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is just take it off your ankle and then you're free. Right. <laughs> you didn't think of that at the time. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know. They they are kind of a bit worrying at times, but you just go, you just kind of in that situation, and then yeah. you have to try and work out what's the best thing to do. And what what did you did you I guess? I just I just managed to free it and get out, yeah. and I didn't really I didn't really mention it to anyone. I don't think. Did, did you did you just jump back back on the board? Yeah, just get back on the board and stay away from those rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So just make sure you don't drift into those rocks again. Yeah. Well, at what point did you get into um, motorbikes? And you, you've always been quite into mountain biking, haven't you? And yeah, I've been mountain biking since I was a kid. And then um, I think there's always been something in the back of my head about motorbikes, you know, like watching this, that program was about Barry Sheen. And I remember like Barry Sheen being somebody, you know, in your childhood as a famous guy riding motorbikes. Right. And um you know, there's various things, again, probably like certain movies, watching films with motorbikes in yeah. them. Um, and I, I had to go on a bike. There was, a, there used to be, um, there was a Kawasaki Ninja parked in my brother's garage once when I was working for him. Right. And I just started it up and jumped on it and took it for a ride out in the, <laughs> in the industrial estate <laughs> just to see what it was like. Came back and I was like, I think I need to get one of them. Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I put it in second gear and wound down the throttle and it just shot off like a rocket. I mean, I've never experienced yeah. anything like it. it. Scares the absolute hell out of you. Um, but it's just pure adrenaline and you're just thinking, this is amazing. And then it took me, you know, I mean, quite a while after that. I did look into doing my test. And I did borrow like a Suzuki 125 that was a bit knackered off one of my brother's friends and it needed some work doing to it. So I kind of said, look, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll do all the work. 
and then um, if I can borrow it to do my test and um, never got around to doing my test. Just kept putting it off and off. And then I think once Cameron was born, it was like, right, you're not doing your motorbike test. Yeah. You know, usual case. <laughs> and then when he was old enough and I'd split up with his mum, I was like, right, I'm going to do it. So I did that two and a half years ago. And um, yeah, but I've not stopped riding my bike since. Yeah. And I've covered a lot of miles now, I think. Yeah, you went to Barcelona recently, didn't you? Yeah, I rode it from Leeds to Barcelona last summer. That was a big trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good. I loved it. Just was kind it? of planned it out on the whiteboard where I'd go from and possible places. Took uh, Put a tent on the back of it and a sleeping bag, sleeping mat, a few clothes and um, just set off from Leeds, got down to Kent. Wow. Stayed overnight at my mate's place in Kent, and then got up early in the morning, jumped on the ferry, ferry to Dover, and then worked out. I think it was probably about 300 kilometers down an area where I could stop and camp. Yeah. And then again, 300 kilometers or 400 kilometers down and stop and camp. Yeah. So you're not riding too much during the day. But then on the way, I the plan was to ride it to Spain. I had a meeting for work in Spain, in Barcelona. And then, you know, hang around in Barcelona for a bit and then ship the bike back because I know a guy who will ship them around Europe right? and then just fly back. So I think I'd actually booked my return flight back, had a word with the guy about shipping. And then once I was there, I didn't feel like shipping it back. I thought, you know, it just feels wrong. I'm going to ride it back. So I rode it all the way back to Leeds again. Oh, that's so incredible. I didn't realise you just well, stick a tent on the back of it. It's yeah, I literally used, did yeah. that. And I had a loose plan of where to go and what to do. And I didn't kind of follow the plan because I'd end up in places and you'd speak to people and they'd go, oh, you're on a bike and you're going to Barcelona. Oh, I'd go down this place or go down that place or, you know, yeah. go to this area. So I changed a lot of the trip. That's well cool. Yeah. Why do you think you had this? I guess most people are just taking the plane. What, 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 what makes you strive to... Well, I'd, I'd like ridden that. abroad on group rides, which I liked, and they're very organised, and it's basically turn up, stay in a nice hotel, have a plan for the day that's down to the T, or pretty much, mm. and then ride around, and then stay in another nice hotel. And it, it's all really good, but it's it's just a bit too easy, isn't it? You know, it's a bit more Super. adventurous, a bit yeah. more yeah. risky, I don't know. Do it on your own. The path less taken, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. yeah. So, and it's it's something that I wanted to try and see if I'd like it or not. What was so, the verdict? I loved, loved it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Do you have any more, do you have anything you'd like to do in the future like that? Um, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to do a lot more biking trips. So, is there anywhere particular that you got on your list? Yeah. Uh, West Coast of America sort of San Francisco down to San Diego or the other way up. San, San Diego upwards. Yeah. Any, yeah. any reason in particular there? Uh, I think California is kind of geared up for motorbikes. Um, I think there's some amazing canyon roads that you can go on. Nice twisty little roads. Uh, yeah. And then there's just the scenery you'd go through is unbelievable. Yeah. I really want to go up to Yosemite Valley. Yeah. Um, just for climbing, really, but um, it's like the mecca of climbing, pretty much. Is it? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's just like a beautiful valley anyway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And um, they've got those like giant redwoods and, you know, sequoias yeah. um, in national parks and you can ride through there. Um, yeah. And San Diego looks like quite a good, and you can surf in San Diego. Right. Yeah. Quite a good city. Uh, you're on the border with Mexico, so you could probably go over to Mexico for a bit. And oh, then cool. San Francisco looks pretty cool. As South well. America trip would be cool on the bike. Yeah. Around South America. Yeah. yeah. That'd be a long one, but it'd be good. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. Well, I did consider doing the lottery <laughs> earlier today. And if I won that, I'd definitely do a South South America trip. Yeah, excellent. So, yeah. Um, do you still get out much on the mountain bike or is that kind of... Uh, not at the moment, no. My mountain bike, I think, is just a bit old and it's a bit knackered now. Um, I could do with buying a new one. And I think it's actually quite small because Cameron bought a new one and his is an extra large. Mine's a medium. And I think I need about a large. Right. But I'll do I'll do some, now the weather's getting a bit better, and I'll do some mountain biking with Cameron. That's cool. Yeah. And some woods and stuff. Yeah, we can just head up to Harewood. Yeah. yeah Harewood Loop. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It'll be enough for him. <laughs> so, um, what's like like life like for you right now? You mean you working much? You, I know you're at the gym a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to start working a bit more. Um, yeah. Well, I work seasonally, so I I don't even have a set of samples at the moment, so I'm not really selling, and visiting customers. Mm. Is it your own company now? Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. my own agency. So I set up my own agency in 2010 and then I work with a number of brands and um, work on my own terms, but I kind of organize the sales for those for those brands. All right. What was it like when you, what made you decide back in 2010 that this is the time to do it? Um. Well, I think I had enough of working for Levi's Kids and uh, I had the knowledge and contacts to do my own thing at that point. And I was always working towards working for myself. Right. So um, it was a big risk, you know. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you, you have to learn a lot, like, fast, like, business-wise. Well, you learn that if you sit on your backside doing nothing, you get paid nothing. So you you do start, like putting a lot of hours and effort into to building the business. Mm. Um, so there's a big challenge and, you know, there's no guarantee at the end of it as well. So, yeah, it, it was tough. And at that point, you know, we were all double dip recessions and things like that. Course, so it was, yeah, it was yeah. the worst time <laughs> to set up the business. However, you know, I used to say that and everyone used to say, well, it's the best time to set up a business because if it works now, when we come out of recession, you'll be all right. Yeah. And to be honest, that's probably, that has happened. Right. So, yeah, if there's any advice, he's like, set up a business in a recession <laughs> if and you try and make it work. Times. And if it works, then yeah. you'll be all right. Yeah. Do you think if you could go back now and give yourself some advice back to you just before you set up the business, do you think you'd have anything to say? Um, I... I don't know. I think I kind of followed my own instincts setting it up. And I think the most important thing that I always used to do was keep my expenses down to an absolute minimum because I had no real funding. I think I had a bit, a few grand that I had to live on. 
Um, so I didn't really borrow any money. I had a load of credit cards where I thought I might need to borrow money and I put them on those and luckily I didn't have to. Um, so I just lived with it. Live within your means is what you need to do. Yeah. You can't just, you know, think that your business is going to turn over, you know, hundred grand in the first year and you'll be able to afford do, to do this and this and this. So that means this month I can spend 10 grand. You can't, you know, yeah. you have to go, well, I might have earned a grand this month. Right. But anything that I have to pay for, as long as Straight I pay less for it, yeah. then I'll have more of that grand at the end of the month kind of thing. So you've got to, you've got to watch out where your figures are, are heading. But you're pretty um, switched on to that straight Yeah, away. I think I'm quite disciplined in that. Again, I think it goes to the fact that, you know, I've always been kind of a bit self-sufficient and independent and, you know, this kind of earn and reward business, yeah. you've got to earn it yeah. first, haven't you? Yeah. So I've never, I've never been in a situation where I've been given a load of stuff and then expected results on the end of it. I've always had nothing and then I had to build it. So, that's, yeah, that's really cool. so yeah, it was tough. Really tough. I didn't get. I didn't really get any return from the first nine months. You know, from starting to work, so I didn't get paid for nine months. And even when I got paid after nine months, it barely covered what you'd yeah, spent in expenses. Yeah. So there was a lot of that working, and then just covering your own expenses. So not really coming out with anything at the end of it. Yeah. But then you know things have slowly changed in business, and some of my brands got bigger, and orders got bigger, and you know. Do you think what you're doing now is what your younger self, when you were starting to think about your own business, what what you would have been wanting to do? Or did the no. dream kind of evolve and change? I think I've kind of just fallen into it. And um, yeah, I, th- I think I, I would have, you know, to be honest, when I was smaller, younger, I wanted to import those cars. I wanted to get like old classic VWs and Porsches from abroad and yeah do something like that which a lot of people did you know at that time and did really well out of it right but you know that wasn't to be kind of thing but you're still happy with what you're doing now yeah okay? I'm, I'm a, yeah i can't grumble with what i do now you know i get to i've got a lot of time where i can do my trips and then you know work a few months of the year and then effectively have a few months off so yeah. Not many people get to do that. Yeah, of course. I mean, one of your recent trips was going to um, base camp, wasn't it, of Everest? Yeah. How, yeah. Did, how did that come about? Um, well, when Cameron was at primary school, I used to know one of the dads who used to drop off his son at primary school. And I've known him for quite a while. He's like, you know, somebody in Leeds um, through friends of friends. And I bumped into him... Uh, at the super waitrose down the road oh, yeah. last summer and he was like oh bit how's it going i was like yeah and he said uh we're planning a trip to base camp next year if you're interested in doing that would you be in, up for something like that and i went yeah <laughs> that was it <laughs> so <laughs> i found out when it was how much it was what was involved and i said look send me all the details and i'll look through it and everything but yeah i'd love to do it and you know it's one of those things it's it's kind of like a bucket list thing isn't it Absolutely, yeah. So looked into it, looked viable, wasn't in the season that I'm working in. So I was like, yep, yeah, let's do it. So it was great because then you had something to focus on. And yeah. A bit of training, a bit of walking, which 
never really got into beforehand. So I bought a pair of decent boots and then we went to Snowdon and went up Snowdon just before Christmas. And then we've been walking in the Dales a bit in Malham. Um, yeah. And I quite enjoy it. You know, it's quite good getting out in a yeah. completely different pace to riding motorbikes through the course, Dales. Yeah. Um, and it, it, all this time when you when you do your training, you just think, ah, oh, this is this. When you're thinking, this is gonna be good when I get to it. Yeah, yeah. this there was a lot of um, yeah. The base camp's a funny one, isn't it? Because you hear a lot of stories about it, so you ca- you kind of don't know what to expect, but you know it's going to be amazing because the Himalayas are so yeah. stunning. Yeah. Um, I think the big worry was all this altitude sickness, right? Which is a thing yeah, and yeah. it is quite dangerous um and it does affect you massively but you know i met i met some guys in the pub down the road and they he him and his wife had done it although he's like you know i'm getting on a bit and he was like early 30s and he was like oh yeah it's easy you can just put trainers on and walk up there you can't you could you could do the first couple of days in trainers mm. and um you know, he kind of made it sound really, oh, he's, you know, his wife didn't train for it and she did it. You'll be fine. Um, I think if, if you get down, if you get stuck with the altitude sickness, you're in trouble and you can't do it. And plus, you know, the weather changes quite a bit. So if, you, if you're stuck with bad weather, it would be difficult. Um, but the trekking is like eight hours a day. So you're walking eight hours a day with enough breaks, enough stops. Yeah. So the the... The actual organized tour isn't it, the walking isn't that difficult. You got about three big passes to get up, which are tiring, but manageable. Um, but yeah, the the living conditions are really basic, and you know. Let's say uh, rewind a bit. Like so, you kind of know you got the the day coming up for the trip, and ha- you're preparing for it in the gym, as we saw, but. Um, what else were you doing? Like, did you have to get like all your equipment and like fly it over with you, or did you just get stuff when you were there? Or um, I got, uh, yeah, I bought a decent down jacket. I yeah. had, I've got waterproofs anyway. I've got like a, a hard shell waterproof Gore-Tex jacket. Yeah, I've got some waterproof over trousers. So equipment-wise, you don't need a lot really, and. You know, the weather conditions weren't that bad. They, they were better than I expected. Most of the days were quite sunny. Uh, it gets really cold on a night. And, you know, if the sun goes down or it's hidden behind clouds for a bit, then it gets cold. The temperatures drop massively. Mm. Um, and because you're walking quite a lot, you know, I tend to heat up yeah, and generate that, heat. Yeah. So I could be walking in a T-shirt and then thinking, what's all this white stuff coming out of the sky? And it would be <laughs> snowing. Yeah, yeah, you got to be... And I've got a t-shirt on. Yeah. Um, you gotta be careful with your layering, don't you? Yeah, you just need you to start layer to up. Sweat, and then you're like, oh no, this fucking freezing on me. Like, yeah, <laughs> and a decent, a decent down jacket kind of does the job. You know, you could wear a merino and a down jacket pretty much yeah. all the time. Yeah, that merino so you, wool's really good. Yeah, yeah, so you just take that off. Yeah. And it's, boots were important. They were a bit of a headache to buy. Yeah. So I bought some decent boots. And you just wore them fit. in. Yeah, like wore them in here. And yeah. And that kind of thing. Yeah. That's good. And where'd you fly out to? Well, I, I went to Delhi first. So I got flights to Delhi and I've got family in Delhi and I stayed one night in Delhi and then the next day we flew from Delhi to Kathmandu 
and we were kind of in Kathmandu for about three or four days. It's in Nepal, right? Uh, yeah, 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 capital of Nepal. Yeah. And then you fly from Kathmandu to a place called Lukla. And Lukla is like on the 10th most mm. dangerous airports in the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just on, hanging on the side of a mountain. When did you see the Himalayas for the first time? Was that, you can see them from Kathmandu, can you? Or? Uh, you can't really see them. And when we arrived in Kathmandu, the, it was kind of really dusty and smoggy and, you know, you couldn't see a lot of things in the distance. Right. What's that What's that city like? What, what, what? Kathmandu? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's just jam-packed. Traffic is a nightmare. So busy. Where's really dusty. Yeah, it's. Really? Th- I think it's like what Delhi was thirty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's just chaos, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are the people like there? Yeah, the people are nice. Yeah, they're good. Everyone's pretty dead, quite friendly. friendly. Yeah. And then we stayed in an area in Kathmandu called Tamil, and that's where all the foreigners are basically. So it's all the tourists are there. Yeah. And there, there's you know people from all over the place, and all the shops sell walking, climbing gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all. North Face ripoffs. Right. <laughs> so you um you fly out to the tenth most dangerous airport in the world. What what's that like when you're sitting in the plane? Uh yeah, that's an experience because even going through the airport is an experience because it's you know it's it's a proper old school old fashioned airport. Oh yeah. Everything's like written down on bits of paper and attached to stuff, <laughs> and then um. You walk. You know, you get a bus to the runway. And then you kind of, the bus drops you off and you stood behind your plane and you're watching some guy refuel your plane that you're about to get on by standing on the wing and putting his, you know, like a petrol pump thing into the top of the wing, which doesn't look right. And um, and then the plane holds about 12 people. So it's two okay. rows. Yeah. There's a little curtain separating you and the pilots. And if you look through the curtain, you can see out the front. Right. And they give you little bits of cotton wool to stick in your ears because it's so noisy oh, wow. and a boiled sweet <laughs> and your luggage cool. your luggage is all stacked behind the last seat on the back of the plane <laughs> um so yeah i just thought it was funny i thought it was hilarious um yeah and you kind of just it's about a 25 minute flight or something like that half an hour flight and yeah there's a short strip that you land on yeah and then get off and then uh and then we were off. And you see, you can see, you can see the Himalayas by this point, is it? You can see a few of the mountain ranges. Yeah, yeah. you can see the snow. What's that like? Kind of look, oh, pretty yeah. daunting. Yeah. Well, it just looks incredible. It's oh, just but... yeah. I always like kind of going anything that's big, I guess, like the mountains, or even I get from just looking at the stars. Like I feel like like problems, like any problems I'm having, like it's not that big. It's not no, yeah. you do feel a bit insignificant, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah, I feel I, I quite. Take take quite a bit of solace from it, especially like looking up at I feel it's like a clear night and there's not much light pollution. Granted, not here like at Leeds, it's it's there's a lot of light pollution. But if you're yeah. out in wherever, um, you know, out in somewhere like Lake District or um, Brecon or wherever, um, you look up and you like see pretty much the Milky Way galaxy. And, like, yeah, it's not that bad, is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're on like if you, I'm sure you could probably it's the same thing if you're looking at the Himalayas. It's like oh, just this. You know, my problems ain't too bad. I'm just not not you know as important as you. Think yeah, you life are could sometimes. be a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Especially I guess if you, I mean, what is the the people living in Kathmandu? Obviously, I imagine they don't have the same kind of privileges we have here at the West. No, so there's a lot of poverty out there, or yeah, yeah, people are pretty poor. Um, 
I think their their kind of like average wage is next to nothing. Most of their income is from tourism, um, especially when you get to Lukla. Like you meet all the porters who live around like that area, and they've got next to nothing. You know, they're doing these treks in like some knackered old trainers or something. Um, so yeah, they don't they, they don't have a lot of money, but they they seem quite content. They yeah. all seem to be really happy, and yeah. you know, they're rich in other things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Money isn't always the end all, is it? Absolutely. I think I love doing anything that's basically just changes your frame of reference for something. So I'm sure you seeing those people would have been like, uh, like, you know, I've got you know a lot better than sometimes it feels like when for me anyway. I don't, I, maybe it's not for you, but um, if you you know see someone, I don't know, just to make an example in the hospital who's maybe just had like a bad accident or something like, oh, I've got my health. Yeah, I've got people all around me that love me. Everything's yeah. pretty all right. Like. I think a lot of people these days, especially um, some of the people I work with, sometimes get really stressed about little things, little things, or what is it, amounts to nothing. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah. it's not too bad, you know. <laughs> uh, and I just love doing anything that's difficult or seeing things that kind of put your life into a frame of reference like that. I think it's really important. Um, yeah, which would be which I'd, I'd I'd love to go to places like that or. Um, and then go into Thailand next, next year and that kind of thing. Yeah, I kind of feel really privileged to do stuff like that, you know. So I do appreciate it and I appreciate everything about it. Yeah. And you kind of put up with all the hardships, you know. There are oh, yeah. times where you can't even wash your hands, you know, all the toilets are like the proper holes basic in the ground, holes in the ground. Yeah. You know, the water freezes. Um, so we showered once in 12 days. Um, so basic things became... Luxuries, yeah. soap and running water was a luxury. Yeah, you know, looking. I, I look. Remember looking in a mirror, going. I haven't looked in a mirror for like you know five days or something like that, and I've got a mirror here. It's weird. Yeah, but you kind of adapt to it, and you know, never once did I feel like, you know, that I needed anything, other than the stuff I had in my bag and the people around me, you know, to travel with. Yeah. Um, the food was was a bit dodgy as well. I mean, you get, I suppose you do get a bit fed up with the food, but it was never really a massive issue. Um, so no, I just thought it was brilliant, start to finish. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it. What was the feeling when you got to base camp? Was it just like a complete sense of accomplishment and everything like that? Yeah, it was. It was because obviously, you know, that was the goal. Um, I mean, base camp itself is a bit of an anticlimax. I shouldn't really say that if people are going to do it, are they? Should I? Um, <laughs> Because the view there is just, I mean, it is, it is stunning because you're in, you know, you're in a place of outstanding natural beauty. But yeah. the day we went, it was pretty cloudy. Um, you, you know, you're surrounded by rocks and it's a bit like a, a frozen moonscape kind right. of uh, yeah. area. But there are parts on the climb on the way there where you're in valleys and then you can see other mountains and, you know, the ranges just look incredible and, you know, we had sunny weather most of the way, so. It's like when you get there and you're like, oh, I've got all the way back to go now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is that feeling. And on the day we did base camp, you know, that was one of the longest days trekking because we were up really early. And we went from one lodge to a place called Gorak Shep in the morning, you know, to get there for breakfast. 
Right. So we did have like a five or five a.m. or six a.m. start. Um. So we got there about ten o'clock for breakfast, and then from there we did the trek to base camp, which is about three and a half hours. And then you know you take your photos, have a quick look around base camp. You know you celebrate with a Snickers bar or something like that, because you're not allowed to have alcohol, and um, and then you walk back to Gorak Shep where you're going to stay the night. So it's another three and a half hours right. trek back. So that's a really long day. So by the time you've got to base camp, you're pretty tired. Yeah. Did you speak to any well. of the people that were staying at base camp to go? No, they're kind on? of separated from you because they're in um, like a bit more of a quarantined area because uh, if you're going to do the climb, you're there for about 60 days, I think. To acclimatise. Yeah, like acclimatise. So you don't want to be meeting foreigners with bugs and germs and yeah. stuff like that, you know. Fair enough. Otherwise, your crazy guys, sixty-five thousand dollar trip goes down yeah, the pan. It's mad how expensive it is. Isn't yeah, it? but that's what they yeah. make the money from. So. Yeah, I mean, all the Sherpas and stuff. I think it was a few years ago. Now they were getting, they were very annoyed at how, um, how you know, very privileged people were kind of coming up, and they were doing a lot of the work, and they were getting treated quite badly. I think. Right. Um, but yeah, what an amazing experience. Would you do it again? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I said to oh, I said to Cameron, said, if you want to do it, you know, five years time or something like that, let's go back and do it. Yeah. Yeah, know. I'd do it again. Cool. If you, you want to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm game. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you know, do, you, do you have any other that trips that stand out to you that you think, oh, those were like some of the best times? Um, Rival in your base camp trip. I think, I think my first biking trip to Norway was was pretty outstanding norway's a special country i think mm. and again yeah. you know we we were discussing this only the other day when we were in scotland about views and how you can just look at a range of mountains or a nice landscape and it i don't i don't know why you kind of have a certain feeling because you know i always kind of believe that every you know everything has some sort of biological evolutionary kind of purpose doesn't it you know obviously eating and food yeah. and things like that survival but yet when you can stand on top of a mountain and look out below or stand looking out to the sea or see a range of islands and things like that i don't understand why you know looking at the mountains in the himalayas i don't know whether it's there's, there's some there's something inbuilt in you isn't it that makes yeah. you appreciate those kind of views yeah how did the norway trip come about um well that was after i bought the bike and the dealership did two or three trips a year and there was i think there was one in portugal one in italy and then one in norway and um one of the guys i used to go cycling with on a sunday like push bikes to Otley and places in bolton abbey he um mentioned he's he's a biker so he mentioned about uh, doing the trip to Norway. And I said, well, if you're up for it, let's do it. So we did. We just booked onto it and then went. And it was the first time I'd ridden a bike abroad and first time I'd ridden with a group of experienced riders. Um, and it was tough. It was 300 miles a day, pretty much. Oh, wow. um, when you're used to riding like 30, 40 miles on your little ride outs. Yeah. You know? I remember doing 100 miles and being knackered riding out on a bike a lot of concentrating yeah a hell of a lot of concentrating and it rained for about the first seven days solidly 
So all you got back, you know, you were soaked yeah. from the start. And when you go back in, you were just, it was just a matter of trying to dry all your stuff out. And it was cold at the top of the mountains. You know, it got down to four degrees C and this is in August. Wow. So it wasn't really like a summer holiday. No, um, it doesn't sound like it's on more of like a similar to your Everest. <laughs> yeah, it's probably harder actually. So it was a really, yeah, it was a real endurance thing. But, you know, um, but I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And, so, you know, we, we rode through some amazing places. You know, Norway's spectacular. The fjords, yeah. you know, we were on a lot of ferries, went through a lot of crazy tunnels and rode down these roads with all these switchbacks and, you know. Right. Oh, that's it was cool. just amazing. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Let's probably wrap this up soon. It's getting quite late. But I don't, Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a question I quite like asking at the end of these is what is a perfect day for you? So... What is, <laughs> if you've got absolutely nothing on, you, there's nothing you need to do or have to do, and um, you can get up when you want, you can get to sleep when you want, and you've got your freedom to do what you want in the day. What 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 does it look like to you? What, what time you get, start me with, you get up, what time? Well, I, I don't like, I don't like wasting my time, to be honest. So I don't, I don't kind of chill out and do nothing. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a, a perfect day, it wouldn't be a lie in. A perfect day would be getting up and, Getting, getting out and about somewhere yeah. so up nice and early up nice and early well i used to used to have nice sundays there used to be a guy who used to go riding with me and we'd get up on a sunday morning not too early so we're you know disturbing all the neighbors but we'd be on the bikes at about eight o'clock and then just ride through the dales to Hawes and stop and have bacon sarnie and a cup of tea and then do a different ride on the way back down and you'd be back for lunch on a Sunday and then you can go off and do whatever you need to do in the afternoon and yeah I don't know something like that would be good just get away somewhere I think for a day a little ride out on your bike and then yeah even on push bikes we used to do that we used to ride up to Bolton Abbey I think if you get up on a quiet day early in the morning there is a nice feeling of being out there before everybody else is getting up Sun, sunny day, you think? Yeah, nice yeah. sunny day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What are you having for lunch? Ah, oh, you'd go to a pub, wouldn't you, and have steak pie? <laughs> <laughs> Call back to the start. Yeah. And then what, what are you do in the evening? Are you someone like? Do you, would you go out for drinks? Would you stay in, watch a movie? What What's the kind of thing? Um. Well, I, I haven't watched a lot of movies to be honest. So yeah, possibly cinema, or. Oh, get the old pizza oven fired up or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Have a few friends around. Yeah, yeah, a few friends around, a few drinks. Yeah. Pizzas in the garden. Tell some good stories about yeah. Everest. Plan plan the next trips. Sounds good. <laughs> cool. See what somebody comes up with next time. Yeah, cool. Uh, that was, uh, thanks very much for doing this, but it's been really interesting to hear about all your, all your trips and, and all the amics you got to and stuff like that so yeah thank you very much for doing this yeah it's good to discuss them with you yeah brilliant until next time